My name is Phil Stinson, and I'm joined by my colleague, John Lederbach. Both of us are on the faculty in the criminal justice program at Bowling Green State University. Uh, today, we're going to discuss our recent research study on criminal misuse of tasers, tasers which are a trade name for a conductive energy device known as CEDs. I think there's a clear need for more research uh, on the use of tasers by police. It's become more controversial as the weapons have proliferated across the country and their use is becoming more common. And so uh, it has become kind of a controversial topic. I think that there's a, a need for evolving policies, controlling the use of tasers by police as their use has expanded. And from the police department's perspective, as these cases have become more common, they've become more commonly challenged in the courts and some civil liability issues have been brought up in regard to the police use of tasers. And so I think there's been a clear need for more research on the use of tasers Maybe we should discuss the nature of our data and why we were able to pick out some cases where police have misused tasers. Okay. Well, you know, one of the things I wanted to mention first was one of the things that got me interested in conducting this study as an extension of the work that we've been doing on police crime, a crime committed by police officers, is I was interested that the Ninth Circuit, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is the west coast of the United States, had issued an opinion in 2009 in the case Brian versus McPherson. And in Brian versus McPherson, uh, young Mr. Brian had stayed at a relative's house overnight in Ventura County. He realized that a cousin had taken his car keys, so he started out before dawn, went to Los Angeles County to the cousin's house to retrieve his keys, all the while trying to get down to his parents' house down in Coronado, which is all the way down on the waterfront near San Diego. And early in the morning, finally arrives in San Diego, the whole way, by the way, only wearing his boxer shorts. So in any event, he ended up getting uh, stopped twice on his way down to San Diego, once by a, a California Highway Patrol officer. And then finally, when he got to Coronado, he was stopped by Officer McPherson, who was there running a safety check at an intersection for drivers not wearing their seatbelts. So he was stopped by Officer McPherson. And at this point, Brian was exasperated and completely out of control in terms of just being fed up with the way things had gone. He had lost his keys. He had found his keys. He had been stopped by a highway patrol officer. Now he's being stopped by a police officer in Coronado. And he was asked to exit the vehicle. And he was incoherent in his babbling, apparently, just because he was so just, frankly, just annoyed with himself and fed up with the morning. And Officer McPherson asked him to exit the vehicle. And without any warning at all, he shot him with his taser, shot Brian with his taser. So Brian falls down face first to the pavement, knocked out several teeth, and ultimately there's a lawsuit in federal court, makes it up to the Court of Appeals. And in that decision, the Ninth Circuit held that there's not a non-lethal monolithic category of force. In other words, we don't put, or at least in the Ninth Circuit, you can't put pepper spray and a blow by a baton and being shot with a taser on the same level of non-lethal or less lethal force, but that the way the, the Ninth Circuit looked at it was now federal courts need to evaluate the nature of specific force employed and look at the factual situation rather than relying on broad characteristics in the force continuum in reviewing a taser-related claim of excessive force. So just with that background, that was something that interested me here because going into this study, 
I assume that we were dealing with problems with situational factors that officers were dealing with and that we had cases that were probably excessive force using the taser. And, and what we found was something completely different here. So in terms of the methods here, as I mentioned earlier, this is an extension of our work where we're researching crime committed by police officers. And just briefly stated, Starting at the beginning of 2005, as part of what ultimately became my Ph.D. dissertation work, I started collecting news articles on police officers in the United States who had been arrested. And I developed 48 search terms and set up Google alerts that constantly crawl the Google News search engine looking for new news articles that have been published in papers online reporting an officer's arrest. And over several years, we've come up with uh, thousands and thousands of cases where police officers have been arrested in this country since the beginning of 2005. So ultimately, what we were looking for here was cases involving tasers where officers had been involved in some sort of an incident where they were arrested because of their use of a taser in some way. And that wasn't one of the quantitative variables that we had looked at in any of the research studies that we had done so far, any of the papers we had written, and it wasn't a quantitative variable that we had included on in any sort of a coding instrument. So over time, since I came to the faculty at Bowling Green, I have been able to develop what I think is a sophisticated database that includes a relational database, but it also includes a digital imaging database. So at the time we wanted to look into this, we had almost 20,000 pages of digital images in our digital imaging database, and we have our own search engine that can search all the documents that we have in that database. So we had 19,341 pages of digital imaging uh, documents, and we used the search terms taser, stun, and stun gun, and ultimately we were able to find 24 cases where officers had been arrested for the criminal misuse of a taser or threatened use of a taser in some way. And these are cases that officers have been arrested since uh, the beginning of 2005 all the way up through the middle of the year 2010. We went through both a qualitative and quantitative coding process. And in terms of the results, we've come up with some interesting things. First, just in terms of some of the basic issues, we have here, as I mentioned, 24 cases that involve 23 of the 24 were male officers. Only one female police officer was arrested for criminal misuse of a taser in, in our data. And 20 out of the 24 held the rank of patrol officer or deputy sheriff or trooper, so non-supervisory ranks. 75% of the cases, or 18 out of 24, involved officers whose criminal conduct for which they were arrested occurred while they were on duty working in their capacity as a law enforcement officer. And then in terms of the age, uh, the ages ranged from 20 to 47 in terms of the 19 cases where we were able to determine the officer's age at the time of the arrest and years of service as well, anywhere from being a rookie all the way up to 20 years of service. And there, there were five cases where we did not know the officer's longevity in terms of how long they've worked as a law enforcement officer. And 75% of these cases were officers who were employed by municipal police departments. And that's 18 cases of the 24. And in four cases, or almost 17%, the officers were actually deputy sheriffs who were employed by sheriff's agency. And we also have one state police trooper and one county officer as well. And 
interestingly, 13 of the 24 cases, so 54%, occurred where the officer worked somewhere in the southern part of the United States, and uh, the rest were distributed throughout the country. But I should point out that only one of the cases was in the northeast part of the country. We looked at the situational context of the cases that led to the officer's arrest, and we found some interesting things here. The cases occurred in a variety of different types of places. Several cases occurred in parking lots, inside a high school classroom. Six cases occurred on police department property, either inside a police cruiser, a vehicle, or inside a police station. Four of the cases occurred inside the homes of the officers who were arrested. And the majority of the cases occurred as a result of an officer shocking somebody with their taser. Seventeen of the cases, the officer shocked somebody, either in the drive-stun mode, which was nine of the cases, or in the probe mode, which was nine of the cases. And the remaining cases involved the threatened use of a taser or a stun gun. Interestingly, the people who were tased in these cases, the victims of the officer's taser-related crimes, were really, frankly, different than what we expected. In numerous cases, they were actually handcuffed criminal suspects. And in other cases, the victim was somebody who was in some sort of a close relationship with the arrested officer. So we had officers' wives who were the victims of the taser assaults, uh, girlfriends, and in some instances, actually, friends of the officer's wife or girlfriend. And in three of the cases, the victim was actually another police officer who was tased by the arrested officer. Females were victims in only 25% of the cases, including some pretty upsetting cases when you read the facts, including one teenage girl whose stepfather shot her with the taser in the face. And it's really a tragic case. She survived, but frankly had some serious injuries as a result of the assault by her stepfather. All of the cases that were off-duty, so six of the 24 cases, included some form of domestic or family violence. And in a third of those off-duty cases, the officer who was armed with a taser was intoxicated at the time of the taser-related assault or threat to use the taser. And in two of the cases, the off-duty officers arrive home and find their spouse or girlfriend, depending on which case we're talking about, in a compromising position, uh, in flagrante delecto, with some other man. Now, we found some interesting patterns here in terms of the cases, and we realized that a number of the cases were consistent with what Goffman years ago referred to as violent ultimatums. These were some sort of statements that were made where the content made reference to an agitated emotional state of the officer who was armed with the taser or some sort of conditional verbal demand whose rejection would bring about a violent action. Typically, the threat would be that they'd be shot with a taser. Most often, the violent ultimatums either accompanied or were directly before the officer's assault with a taser. I'll give you some examples. In one case, an officer attacked an innocent homeless man in the parking lot of a church, and the officer gave the command to this homeless man, who frankly had done nothing at all, according to the records that we looked at. And the officer barked out to the man, uh, don't move or I'll blow your brains out. 
In another case, the officer who was the estranged husband of the victim pressed a taser to her leg, and as he raped her, he said, you picked a good day to die. And I'll give you one more example of a violent ultimatum. There was a case where an officer was in a uh, vehicle chase with a suspect, but he wasn't the primary officer. It was actually a state police chase, and he was an officer who was just on the back end of the chase. And after the chase was over, they were parked along an interstate highway, and the officer uh, walks up to the trooper's cruiser where the suspect who they were chasing was now handcuffed in the back seat of the trooper's cruiser, not a threat to anybody at that point, and the officer opened the back door of the cruiser and addressed the handcuffed suspect who was sitting in the back seat and as he shot him with a taser yelled next time don't run from the police so those are examples of violent ultimatums that we identified in these cases and then we had what um, Bernard and Griffin have referred to as occupationally derived angry aggression so we have angry aggression here in a few cases there's some pretty drastic results. We have one where an officer fired a taser at a homeless man until the taser ran out of power, and then he proceeded to hit the man with his baton, and he punched him so hard it actually crushed bones in the man's face. And in another really egregious example of angry aggression, an officer repeatedly shocked a handcuffed suspect with his taser, nine times actually, until the man ultimately died of a heart attack. So these are pretty serious cases. And then we have one case where handcuffed and in the backseat of a police car where the officer shot him with a stun gun after the suspect repeatedly refused to give his correct name to the officer. We also have several cases where off-duty officers engaged in violent activities that frankly also constitute what we'd call angry aggression. There was one case where a deputy sheriff uh, pushed his wife onto a bed, then took his taser out. Apparently he was still wearing his uniform when he had come home and had the taser on his duty belt, and he put the taser against her stomach and zapped her with the taser in the probe mode, causing pretty serious taser burns, and then he held the gun to her head. And then we have another case where an off-duty officer arrives home only to find his wife in flagrante delecto with an off-duty deputy sheriff. He actually drew his service pistol and threatened to shoot the naked deputy when his wife intervened and urged him not to shoot her lover. And in deference to his wife's request, he put away his gun, pulled out his taser, and shot him with the stun gun. So then finally, another pattern that we identified here were that some of the cases involved behavior that could only be described as foolishness or actions that were initiated on the basis of folly uh, with a clear lack of judgment. In fact, in terms of foolishness, the word foolish or foolishness appeared in the narratives of the news articles we were reading about these cases. One case involved a deputy sheriff who was working at a career fair at a local high school and he acquiesced to the pleas of several teenagers who wanted to be stunned with the deputy's taser. According to the deputy's sheriff, the head of the sheriff's office, he described it as the deputy actually foolishly agreeing to the student's request that he tase them. This was just really a bizarre case because the officer or the deputy actually deployed his taser in the drive-stun mode on 34 students who were attending the high school career fair. And then we have 
a situation where another officer playfully stunned a fellow officer as they were carousing after roll call at the beginning of their shift. And then we have what the victim actually described as being foolish behavior by an officer, where an officer stunned a waiter at a Waffle House restaurant when the officer and several other officers who were with the officer with the taser ridiculed the waiter because they didn't like the music he was playing on the jukebox or the waiter had messed up their order in some way. They actually tased the waiter for this egregious behavior of playing bad music on the jukebox or bringing food that the officers thought was somehow messed up. So the officer in that case was actually arrested for misdemeanor battery and for violating his oath of office. In that case, there was actually collateral damage here too because the other officers involved who did not actually tase the waiter themselves ended up resigning from the department in lieu of being terminated and a fourth officer from the same department was also investigated around the same time because he too pointed a taser on a different day at the groin of the same waiter at an earlier incident at the same Waffle House restaurant. Beyond some of the anecdotes and clearly egregious cases, I think one of the interesting things that came out of the study is we set out to do a study about the misuse of tasers and set it up within the context of the um, use of force continuum. And then what we found was something a little different than what we thought we we would find. I think one clue was that a quarter of the cases involved off-duty misuse of tasers. And if you examine, you know, the nature of an off-duty incident involving a taser, it can't be good. And it's going to be unusual. And I think what we found when we pulled out the 24 cases, especially if you look at the victims, is that these are not normal cases. That when you look at the misuse of force of, say, some other weapons, it becomes a determination about whether the officer acted reasonably or in accordance with the use of force continuum. But these cases are something different. These cases have victims who were either criminal suspects who were already handcuffed and under control, or people that weren't criminals at all. A friend, a relative, a girlfriend, somebody who needed to be taught a lesson, it seems. And so officers who are arrested for the criminal misuse of tasers really was an unusual sample. And that can be good or bad. I think it's difficult to generalize our findings about the use of force because these incidents didn't involve situational risk to the officer. On the other hand, the fact that these cases are so unusual and so egregious and so out of bounds for the police officer, you know, might suggest that tasers are perceived to be a different kind of weapon by the police themselves. It's almost as if the taser was being used as as either a toy or a tool of torture in these cases. And so we may have stumbled upon something about the nature of this type of weapon as opposed to other types of weapons um, that the police use to control citizens. Um, And we tried to hint about this in the discussion section. But the taser seems to stand alone among weapons to be used in these kinds of egregious types of cases. When you look at cases that involve the misuse of, of a firearm, invariably, not all the time, but most of the time, those kinds of debates are going to occur about whether the use of force was reasonable or not or in accordance with department policy. These cases fall outside the realm of anything related to situational risk 
or the use of force continuum. And it really begs the question of, you know, what is it about a taser that could prompt this kind of action? I guess one level of explanation speaks to the fact that we only have 24 cases. It could be that there's individual officers out there that have some psychological maladjustments, some personal problems, whether it's angry aggression or foolishness that prompt these kind of cases, uh, rare cases. But it could also be that police departments need to address how they train officers in the weapon and try to influence how officers perceive the weapon. And we, we made some suggestions in the discussion section about training. And anyone who's familiar with police officer use of force training, and especially tasers, might be aware that sometimes these officers are treated as a toy in the training. You can look this up on YouTube videos where officers, it's, it's kind of a game where the, the taser is used and officers laugh or they all have to tase each other. And perhaps, maybe for some individuals, this would give them a misconception about what the purpose of the weapon is. And in at least 24 cases, it involved tasing people who weren't criminals or who weren't posing a threat to them at all. You know, I want to expand on that point a little bit. Uh, you brought up the issue of training with the tasers, and, and both of us have looked at numerous videos of law enforcement training involving conductive energy devices, tasers, and in every one of the videos we've looked at, there's a laughing at some point in the training where it seemingly is funny to watch other officers be tased because a lot of the training historically has required over the last decade or however long they've been working with tasers, the training is typically required that in order for an officer to be qualified or certified, whatever the, the proper language is, to use, approved to use the taser, they've required that the officers, or at least encouraged, that they be tased themselves. And in every one of these videos, we watched over and over again that when officers were being tased by, typically by the training officer who was conducting the training, there were other officers standing around laughing, and that it was funny. And it's without exception. We have yet to see a training video or observed any training ourselves with tasers where this phenomenon did not go on. Now, in recent years, the last few years, there has been a shift where some places are not requiring that every officer be tased in order to go through the training, and there are some good reasons for that. But again, I think it's an important thing. And you know, something I thought about when we were writing this article, and it's something that's not in the article that we had published, but as to the training and the laughing and the silliness and the tomfoolery going on with the shenanigans with tasing each other, the training, it reminded me many, many years ago when I was a police officer in New Hampshire, went through my academy was at the New Hampshire Police Academy, where all full-time officers go through the same training academy in New Hampshire. And at some point there, I learned about what's commonly known as the Newhall incident, which was a very unfortunate incident in the early 1970s where several officers of the California Highway Patrol found themselves one day in a gun battle at a point-blank range. And allegedly, at least as the, the story has been told over the years, one of the officers was killed with a shot to the head at point-blank range as he was crouched over, leaning down, picking up his spent brass. In other words, he apparently had been trained at the academy and in his periodic 
firearms training, in recertification, in practice. But you always got to clean up your spent brass. And apparently, every time he reloaded, he stopped and cleaned up his spent brass. And that way, departments can reload these as wad cutters and cut down on the cost of ammunition for training. So, allegedly, in the New Hall incident, there's been a lot written about this. The highway patrol officer was leaning down and, without even thinking about it, was doing exactly what he had done in his training. So, our concern, my concern here, is that when officers find the issue of tasing people, tasing each other, is funny in their training, that somehow that finds its way into their use of the taser later on. Here we have cases where they clearly tase people that they shouldn't be tasing. They tase people who are homeless people. They tase people who are suspects who were already handcuffed and no threat in terms of being able to hurt any uh, law enforcement officer. They tase people who they love, should love, used to love, or want to love, and they tase each other. Somehow the message has gotten through the training that this can be you know, something that could be very funny to the officer, but also apparently viewed as non-lethal when it really ought to be viewed as less lethal and not non-lethal because certainly there are many people, and there's research that's being done by other researchers dealing with this on the deaths that have resulted from being shot with a taser by a law enforcement officer at agencies all over the country. Two other points that I wanted to make here. One is that with the cases that we have involving off-duty use of the taser, off-duty criminal misuse of the taser, I really have trouble understanding why a law enforcement officer needs to take their taser home. I understand that you need to charge the battery, but there really ought to be ways to do that at a police station, at a police barracks. Uh, I really don't understand the need to take it home. And I've asked several current law enforcement officers about this practice, and, and one frankly got quite indignant with me and that, you know, claimed that I simply just didn't understand why it was important for him to have his taser with him 24 hours a day fully charged. And I just don't see it. It seems to me it's a weapon that if it's going to be used should be limited to on-duty use. And then the last thing I wanted to mention was that anecdotally, in the two years since we collected this data and analyzed the data and looked at the results here and wrote this up, we've continued to see, as we've been continuing in our larger research project to collect data, we've continued to see Every few months we have an incident where an officer is arrested for the criminal misuse of a taser. And consistently, it's right along with the findings that we have talked about today. And John, I didn't share this with you, but just in the last day or so, we got a, a hit with our Google alerts on a case involving an officer who was arrested for tasing, I think it was a 10-year-old boy who had declined to, uh, I forget what it was, clean the officer's cruiser, was that yeah. it? Yeah. He, he wouldn't wash the officer's cruiser, so the officer <laughs> shot the tenure during a officer friendly visit at a school or really? something. Yeah, <laughs> it's just crazy. I, yeah. I guess it's not funny, but you know, you, it's just bizarre. That's just in the last day or so we've seen this. I forgot I sent you that article, but we see it. I don't know. I'd say at least every three months or so, and consistently, it falls in line with the violent ultimatums, the angry aggression and with the foolish behavior. It's nothing to do with excessive force. In all of these cases, it seems to be clearly inappropriate use of force. And we just see that 
time and time again, and I don't see it letting up. It, I just, uh, you know, there, a year or so ago, there was a case where uh, at a Christmas party, some police officers decided it was a good idea to lend some volunteer firefighters their tasers so that they could tase a junior firefighter, a, a teenager, uh, at the Christmas party. It's just craziness. Now, I don't know where this fits, but it's interesting because I think, it, this is my understanding, that these less than lethal weapons, especially tasers, were first developed and came about as a replacement for deadly force. And then what we're finding is that they actually just expand the, the non-lethal force used by officers. And in these cases, at least, we see how badly things can go when they're treated as a joke or when the, the officer has some kind of individual maladjustment. So with that, I think we'll leave it there for this episode, and we thank you for listening to our podcast.